the Clumbell Podcast. So it's a winter's day in November. I've come to St. Patrick's Well here in Clonmel, one of my favourite spots, I must admit. And I've bumped into David from the St. Patrick's Well Committee. David, welcome to the Clonmel Podcast. Can you tell us something about the well? Thank you very much, uh, Mark. Uh, well, just to give you the reasons for the well and a bit of history about the well. Basically, you're here in South Prairie, so all of South Prairie here, you have a bed of limestone. So where you get limestone, you have caves or caverns underneath. For example, you have the Mitchellstown Caves at yes. the other side of Caves. So you have the same situation down here, except wow. that these caves are filled with water. They're called aquifers. So the water is coming up there through the limestone and through the fissures and uh, little uh, crevices in the limestone. So it's filtered and purified naturally as it comes up. So there's great healing qualities and great um, medicinal um, qualities in that water. Would people actually come and, and maybe soak their feet or oh, they something? Were just, yeah, people come here for all kinds of reasons. For Well, they take water to drink. Mm. Uh, it's natural spring water. Um, people come to um, come here for uh, sports purposes uh, so that they can um, recover before and after matches and before and after running and before wow, and after amazing. cycling or whatever yeah. they're doing. There's great uh, curative qualities mm. in, in the water. Now, um, the water is coming from very deep down. We're told it's coming from about 400 feet. So you would have great minerals in that water. Now, uh, the water is coming up here all over, but uh, inside this small wall here is the original well. It's a geological phenomenon. The water has been coming up here for over a thousand million years. But uh, people have been coming to this well for well in excess of 10,000 years. I'd say people have been coming here while there has been human life in Ireland. Do we know how the well was, was formed? In pre-Christian times, this was a huge assembly place. Yeah. People had been coming here roughly 9,000 years before St. Patrick. Um, back, to, back in pre-Christian times, or pagan times as we call them, you didn't have any towns or cities. Dublin, Cork, Watford, Limerick, Clamel, mm. Kilkenny, Galway, you name it. Mm. They weren't there, full stop. But what people tend to forget is you still had people in the country. So we're here very close to the River Shore, yep. less than a mile away. So there would have been quite a lot of people living on the banks of the Shore. That's where the people lived, on the banks of the rivers. So those old pagan or pre-Christian people, any place they found fresh water, they made that an assembly place. People came here for water, they came for healing, they came to socialise, they came to make matches, they came to wash, they came to be taught. Every whole thing happened at the wells. It's amazing. So you had all types of trades and professions, some droves, healers, traders, physicians, musicians, storytellers, you name it. It's been a busy place. It was an extremely busy yeah. place. So I suppose the best way you could describe it in today's terms is it was like an outdoor festival all year round. Now, the pagans had four big festivals in the year. At the beginning of uh, February, Imbalik, the beginning of May, Bialtana, the beginning of um, August, Lunasa, and the beginning of uh, November, Sound. And we're told that those festivals here, you could have maybe 40 to 50,000 people here. In this very place? In this place, yes. So um, it, 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 it was well known, if you'll pardon the pun. And, um, as I said, it was one of the biggest assembly places in Ireland in pre-Christian times. Now, uh, I take it you know a bit about St. Patrick, do you? Or I do, do know, yes. Do you want me to give you a minute or two? You can do, yeah. please do. Yeah, St. Patrick was born in Britain about the year 400. Uh, we, don't, we don't know whether it was 
Scotland or Wales, even though he tells us the name of the village in his um, confession, because the same name, of course, both at the mouth of the River Severn in Wales and also near Dumbarton in Scotland, so they both claim him. However, which or whether, uh, Patrick was a Christian, and at 15 years of age, Patrick was captured by Irish raiders who had gone across to Britain, and they captured Patrick, among others, but Patrick specifically, they sold him into slavery up in County Antrim uh, to a farmer uh, at Sleeve Meat, County Antrim, the mountain is still there today. So this man uh, put Patrick out in the mountain minding sheep and pigs and Patrick endured terrible conditions in slavery. His master completely ignored him and left him to his own devices. Patrick had to feed himself and fend for himself. Such so, a young lad. Yeah, so, and, and, and being a young lad, so, mm. so um, he, he he, he, he quickly learned that the Irish hadn't heard of Christianity. So, uh, he being a Christian, he decided that he would escape from slavery and that he would study and become a bishop and that he would come back to um, convert the Irish to Christianity. Now, having spent six years in slavery in those terrible conditions, he escaped and he travelled on to France where he went to three different colleges, Montmartre being the first one, M-O-N-T-M-R-T-R-E near Paris. Mm. The second one was Lyons, L-E-R-A-N-S, and the third one was Auxerre, And having studied in those three colleges to become a bishop, he travelled down to Rome by the way he walked. Uh, He walked? Walked, yeah. So he was made a bishop in 432 by Pope Celestine I. So that same year, having been made a bishop, he decided he would come back to Ireland to convert the Irish. So when Patrick began to Christianise Ireland in 432, been in the 5th century um, I mentioned to you previously that in pre-Christian times we didn't have any towns or cities but yep. in the 5th century the two most important places were Tara and County Meath was the capital yep. remember Dublin wasn't in existence Tara was the capital and the second most important place was just here beside us Cashel ah. which was the residence of the King of Munster Right. so the High King of Ireland lived in Tara and the King of Munster lived in Cashel so Patrick, uh, he began in Tara by preaching Christianity to the High King. Uh, the country wasn't divided into counties then, but he went across to a place by the name of Nakrahan, or Crowken, Nakrahan Hill in the present county of Roscommon. And from there he travelled south to Cashel. Uh, the king in Cashel was a man by the name of Angus. So Patrick preached, converted and baptised the king in Cashel. So having converted the king in Cashel, and because this was so close, and because this was where the big assembly of people was, this was the obvious place for Patrick to come. So he came here in the year 447, and he preached, converted and baptised here at this well. Right where we're standing. Right where we're standing. So when he had these people and this region converted to Christianity, uh, that Celtic cross that you see across there on the Yes, in the well, yes. Uh, that, that, that cross was erected there then. So we believe it's the oldest cross in Ireland. So that's been here since... Since the, about the middle of the 5th century. It's very aged-looking, and <laughs> it's worn by time and weather. And it's beautiful, though, isn't it? It really weather. is fabulous. So that's, that's roughly what the well is about. Now the church... Yeah, the church, I've noticed. There's also uh, a, a tomb in there? Yes, that's right. Uh, the church was built by Cistercian monks. Uh, between 1418 and 1420. It's exactly 600 years old this year. Um, Cistercian monks came to Ireland originally from France in 1140 
and the first Abbey they built was just here beside us, further down the road, of which does not even a single stone left. The Abbey of Inish Launacht. That's a shame, isn't it? Yeah. That is a shame. Yeah. But anyway, the Abbey of Inish Launacht owned a huge amount of land, about 12,000, 15,000 acres of land. So this well would have been under land at that time. So the monks then they decided to build this church here beside the well, and they built it between 1418 and 1420. Now, there was a previous church here from the 9th century, uh, and there probably was a church, a wooden church, maybe before that, going back to St. Patrick's time, but we do know that there was a church here, uh, a previous church to this from the 9th century. But anyhow, this church was built uh, 600 years ago. This church had a thatched roof, and the monks then operated the church here from 1420 when they had it built until 1650. Uh, in 1650, Cromwell was at the height of his power here in Ireland. Oh, no, about so, that, yeah. so, so he was uh, at the siege of Clamell in 1650. This church was damaged, so this church hasn't been used since 1650. And do we know who's buried in the Yes, uh, there, there's a tomb there. Uh, it's dated 1623. Uh, there's a man from Clamell buried there, a man by the name of Nicholas White. He was a wealthy man in Clamell who died in 1622 and... Uh, he left his money to have a church built in Tadbell. It's no longer there, but uh, his family built a church in the 1620s. And uh, that tomb, which is in there now, was part of the altar in that church in Tadbell until that church fell into disrepair in 1805. So in 1805, when that church fell into dereliction, uh, his ancestors asked to have this tomb moved out here. So the tomb was moved out here in 1805, so it's here roughly 215 years. I couldn't think of a nicer place to be buried, to be quite <laughs> yeah, honest, yeah, it's David. It's a lovely place. There's uh, great peace and yeah, so tranquility good. and solitude. And so we're looking at the layout of the well now. Yeah. Well, all this work was done now in 1969. Right. This place was pretty desolate here. And so what would have been here? Just the well? There, there was just... And the cross? There was just the well and the cross, and the church was covered with ivy there. And the water still would have been well, there? The same amount that. of water, which was yeah. just a marsh. There was no ah. pool. All, all this work was done in 1969 with funding from America. Um, from America? Yeah. Um, Jews from Los Angeles that funded the restoration of here in 1969. How did that come about? Do you have any well, idea? The mayor of Los Angeles, he yeah. was a man by the name of Sam Yarty, had Irish connections. Right. And he visited, he visited here in 1969. Now this place was in an awful state. Really? So a committee had been formed here. And... Um, they were just tidying up the well here and uh, when he saw what they were doing he went back to America and he raised funds for a, co- a complete restoration of the well. That's lovely isn't it? Uh, it such a lovely thing to do. Oh, it was marvellous, absolutely marvellous. And did he ever get the chance to come back and he, see it finished? He, he came back in 1971, yeah. yeah. yeah this is, it's, uh, I was, and, and I was saying to you before we, we started recording, I can remember as a child coming on the holidays and we'd always, every year we'd come over because yeah. my parents are from Clonmel. Yeah would always come and visit the well. It was one of those <laughs> yeah, places yeah, that yeah, you yeah, think... Yeah. And like a lot of think people who would have relations either in oh, town, that's the way. it was always a place to come. It's just so but tranquil it, here, but, peaceful, isn't it? But I think people only really appreciate it when they go away, you know. Yeah. Like most things, David. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember one evening a man come down there the steps and he, he was a man with a beard and he had been, must have been in London all his life and he... Uh, I've been maybe in London for 50 or 60 years. He looked and he was an elderly, uh, he was probably touching 80 years of age. 
but he had cycled out. And uh, he had a long beard. I reminded me of Ronnie Drew. But, uh, yeah, Ronnie Drew. Uh, <laughs> and and, and he, I, said, I said to him, uh, you know, he was talking about London and all. And God, I said, you must have everything in London. He said, we have everything in London except St. Patrick's Well. It's always a piece uh, of home that I, people I, miss, I, you I, see. I, I thought he put it very well. <laughs> <laughs> Is there still masses held here? I know, obviously, before no, the not, coronavirus. Not, not this year, but every other year we had a mass. We have a mass on the fourth Thursday of June every year. And where would it be located now? Just out there. On the, on the out, green? Outside the church. Yeah. Outside the church, not in the church? Well, once or twice we've had it in the church. The priest just comes down there and it depends on how many people are around. He just gives a look around and kind of makes up his mind there and then if, if it's manageable within the church. Do you get many tourists coming? As in Americans, Australians? Again, as I say, it's not commercialised. Yeah. But you would get people who hear about it and that are interested in these places and they do come, you know. It's like a secret location, isn't it, where it is and everything? In one way, it's a good thing. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, a lot of places have become overrun and a lot of places have become commercialised and a lot of people have been... A lot of places have been destroyed. You don't want busloads of people. No, no, you don't. Well, no, well, we don't mind in that one. Not busloads, but... Not, not, not too many. Not too many, yeah. yeah. I, I can always remember as a child coming along, as I said before, and people would throw money into the well. There's a, there's a few bob in there now, I see. Yeah, not, not too much. <laughs> there's a recession. <laughs> and a pandemic and everything else. Oh, added you're so right. <laughs> and uh, how long has the committee been formed? Well, there's been a committee, there's been committees here since 1913 that yeah. I know of. And there was a committee then formed in 1969, and there's one or two people who were on the committee since 1969. They're still on it, you know. There's a few people there, and they're great people, and they do marvellous work. They do amazing work. So, David, there's a connection here with the, the water in the well on Marleyfield Lake, isn't there? That's right, yes. Uh, Mark, um, Marleyfield Lake is formed by the water from St. Patrick's Well and from the water of another little stream which flows down here from Loch Talley. Uh, Marlefield Lake is a man-made lake. Man-made? Man-made, yes. Uh, Bagwell's were the landlords, a man by the name of John Bagwell from Marlefield House uh, had that lake that we know as Marlefield Lake today. He had it dug out by hand between 1770 and 1775. We're told he had... 300 people working for five years with shovels and houses oh. and carts and uh, well it was all manual labour that's amazing it is amazing yes oh, it took it, five years yes about five years there's 15 acres about 15 acres uh, the, the lake takes up about 15 acres now that was a private lake uh, that was private from 1775 just for their land for, for their uh, pleasure and for yeah. their um, <laughs> uh, use yeah. Um, until 1982, from my memory, um, Bagwell's, uh, when the lake was dug out and filled in, filled with water, um, Bagwell stocked it with fish uh, yearly, and they had fishing people from our visitors from England and France, Germany, and Spain and the continent coming over there every year. Oh. And it was a kind of a pleasure. I'd say the select few. Yeah, the David. select few, the elites, yes. Yeah, yeah the elite, that's <laughs> them, yeah. And there's a connection too with Jameson's Distillery, yeah, isn't there? Yeah, the uh, famous Irish whiskey. Th- th- there was two, there was... Uh, um, Stein was the original man to start a, a distillery there. I, uh, I don't know exactly what date, but uh, then they sold it to Jameson's. Uh, 
it, there was a huge output from at the distillery. They were uh, producing, uh, there's one figure there, 8,268 uh, barrels per week. So it was a huge output for a distillery at that time. So Steins, I don't know when Steins left it, but they sold it to Jameson. And Jameson's operated it on, from whenever they bought it, which I'm not sure of the date, until 1850. And the reasons Jameson's pulled out, or the reason Jameson's uh, abandoned it, was that one of their little girls, a uh, child of a year and seven months old, died. So Jameson's uh, just uh, upped and left, and uh, that was the end of the distillery in Marlowfield. So you can say then Jameson's were here first before they went to oh, it's Dublin, well, isn't it? They are oh, they were here first, yes, yes. And the, the, the girl is, is buried in Marlowfield Church? The girl is, is buried in the cemetery at Marlowfield Church. Oh. And as you face the door on the left-hand side, there's a very big grave there with a big railing around it. And uh, there's only one little girl buried in that grave. She was a year and seven months. That's, that's so sad. Very sad, isn't it? David, thank you so much for showing me around. You're very welcome. I really appreciate that. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. The Clonmel Podcast.